another season of first draft is underway. Jalen Carter, too quick, too powerful. That's a touchdown. That is a bad man. Maybe the best player in the sport. Watch out for Mr. Robinson. Fifth touchdown pass for C.J. Stroud. Jackson Smith and Jigbo, arguably the top receiver in the country. If you didn't know the name Will Levis before tonight, you know it now. Richardson, lead cross, a defender out of bounds. He is a highlight reel waiting to happen every time he touches the football. Welcome in to another edition of First Draft. It is Tuesday. March 21st, and if your first question is why you're doing a podcast on Tuesday, and especially at 11 a.m. live for those that are watching it on YouTube or the ESPN app or Facebook or whatever it is that you watch this show, the answer is because it is quarterback pro day week is starting tomorrow and going through Friday. Three of the top four quarterbacks are going to have their pro day in succession. It goes Ohio State with C.J. Stroud. And then Alabama with Bryce Young, and finally Will Levis in Kentucky on Friday. I'm Field Yates, but you're not here for me. You are here for the two men that are the mock drafts and that are the NFL draft. Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay. Good morning to you both. And Mel, I'm going to hey, start. Kuyper, by- Kuyper, uh-oh. quick question. Go ahead. Hold on, I'm jumping there already. Kuyper, am I going to see you in Columbus and Tuscaloosa and Lexington? You're going to be there. Pro days, Todd. Thrown against air. Do I care? What do I always tell you? I'll be watching. I'll be watching. It's not going to change or alter my opinion. All right. You have fun. You enjoy yourself. Uh, no, I'll be here looking at tape on other guys and watching pure football being played. I love it. Todd, you will be all for right, at right. least two of those. Two, three? How many are you going to, Todd? I'll be at all three of those, come home for a few days, and then head back down to, um, to Gainesville for Anthony Richardson's Pro Day, which I believe is on March 30th or 31st. It's at sounds, the end of the month. End of the month. That sounds right to me. So, again, these next three days, though, are, I would say, notable on the NFL calendar. Even if the pro days themselves don't mean that much, I always find it interesting to take stock of who is there, which teams will be at all three pro days. You'd imagine the Carolina Panthers and the Indianapolis Colts and the Houston Texans and all those teams that are certainly going to be in the quarterback mix when the draft begins in about a month. And and last year, Field, last year, Field, it was the first time that we've had the top three quarterbacks go throw in succession. Actually, the top four. You know, it was it was Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, and then uh, Desmond Ritter in a four-day span. And it just kind of worked out that way, and they had to adjust it to make sure that they weren't on the same day. And NFL teams liked it so much, and I loved it too, because it, you get to just see this, the top quarterbacks going one day to the next, to the next, to the next. And so to have the three in a row and then Anthony Richardson just a few days later, I think this is going to be a pattern that we see every year. And, and it, it certainly helped last year and this year With four quarterbacks potentially going in the top five, it's a lot different than just one quarterback in the first round a year ago with Kenny Pickett. You know, I've noticed that when I talk about just to to piggyback, they'll feel just to piggyback what Todd said. I think you look at the the pro days over the years, how much have they meant to teams? Not a lot, because I've talked to teams that said we already knew when we went to those pro days who we were taking. Okay, I knew who the pick was going to be, who my quarterback was going to be. I went to those pro days because you kind of had to and make it kind of a mystery as to who you're taking. But they had already locked in to their quarterback by the time pro days took place. That's not always but it is. It's happened a lot over the years. Where it is, I was just going to say, it is another opportunity to meet and and be around the player, and sometimes around the player's family. Like I think, I think GMs and head coaches and decision makers get a lot more out of going to dinner the night before 
the night of, the night after, whatever it is, when they come into town and, and being able to just sit down and get to know the player a little bit more, get to know their mom, get to know their dad, whoever's you know involved in the in the process. And and I, that's what I always the information I always get back is yeah, like we, it's good to see them throw live again. We probably we've probably seen them throw live a couple times. We see all of his tape, but most importantly is the time that you get to spend around the coaches, uh, the assistant coaches there, the families, and then the actual player. All right, so a big week. Now, not just a big. And I'll week. go to this, guys. I'll go to this. Yeah, Peyton Manning's pro day wasn't impressive. I, you're gonna be, oh, Peyton Manning's pro day is bouncing passes, wobbly balls. Ryan Leaf was there with Peyton Manning. Did Peyton Manning's pro day matter? No, it did not. I've been talking to teams to say, hey, private workouts of the quarterbacks is more important in the pro yes, day. Yes, pro day is scripted. It's everything's right. Private workouts. And remember, during the COVID year, they couldn't have those. That impacted some of the things that were going mm-hmm. on there with quarterbacks. When private workouts take place, that is impactful. Okay, you don't see that. Teams see it. That's what they feel is more important than pro days or even the combine, all those things. Private workouts for quarterbacks will dictate a lot that happens the end of April. Okay, I am going to ask about a pro day a little bit later on as we're going to dive into Mel Kuyper Jr.'s mock draft 3.0. And if you are watching this live, also be sure to check out at 5 p.m. Eastern time on Tuesday, today, March 21st, on ESPN2, a full show that breaks down all 31 picks in the first round of the mock draft. Also available on ESPN Plus for those that are watching or listening on the audio version right now. If they want to see that in its entirety, they can go to ESPN Plus, check back around Tuesday night. Let's dive into it, though. And because free agency is not entirely, but in some ways largely behind us, many of the notable players that were available have signed with a new team The dust has settled a little bit, and we can assess teams' needs a little bit more clearly now. So, Mel, let's begin at number one in Carolina. They made the trade up. That much we know, and we talked about that for quite a bit last week. The question for the next six or so weeks is going to be, who are they taking, and who do you have them taking in your latest mock draft? Field right now, it's C.J. Stroud. And Frank Reich, he said, well, I don't hear a Bryce Young size, but in the past it has been important to Frank Reich. And accuracy throwing the football, C.J. Stroud was at 70% over the last two years. He didn't throw interceptions. He's kind of the college version of Aaron Rodgers. He didn't throw picks. And certainly the size we saw against Georgia, he could be a dual-threat quarterback. If he can bottle that, I keep saying it, bottle that, take it into the NFL. Unfortunately, we didn't see that each week at Ohio State. But we saw it in the Georgia game, certainly the combine workout. He threw the ball very well. He doesn't have the howitzer for an arm, but he certainly has good enough arm strength. The accuracy is phenomenal, and he has that little swagger about him. So to me, right now, for Carolina and for Frank Wright, for what he's looked for in a quarterback, C.J. Stroud has. What I really struggle with, guys, and Todd knows this, is these trades. I didn't even want to make a trade, but I gave Indianapolis that trade up from four to three. Could have given the Raiders a trade up from where they are with a seven up to three. But I'm glad the trade already took place with Carolina and Chicago because trades distort your first round mock. Mm. And I would rather just have left it alone now. I just projected that one little trade from four to three. Not a big deal, but could have gone with the Raiders moving up. But I don't know if that's going to happen. So there's trades that are still possible that will happen. But in this mock, you're trying to put guys in positions where in a range they can go and also fill the needs, as you said, field after free agency has begun. Now, where's Detroit go? They got three defensive backs in free agency. I went away from Christian Gonzalez. I went to Jalen Carter, defensive tackle, Georgia. So as you say, field and Todd, free agency certainly has impacted Mach 3.0. And I listen, going back to CJ Stroud, I went back and watched that Georgia tape again, just to get, you know, just to refresh my mind before I head out to the pro days. My goodness. 
I mean, find me a better tape of a quarterback all season long. You could say maybe Bryce Young versus Texas earlier in the year, but what he did against Georgia was phenomenal. And that's what everyone in the league that I've talked to, from head coaches to general managers to regional scouts, have been starving to see. Can he carry his team? When he when the play breaks down, can he get outside the pocket? He has Jalen Carter on one play, bearing down on him. He eludes him. He's got three guys you know, grabbing at his legs on another play. He gets outside, climbs the pocket, gets outside, throws for a touchdown. He ran twice for about 30 yards combined for first downs in that game. And his pinpoint accuracy was exceptional. And here's a couple things, though. When just talking about this first pick. I think it absolutely comes down to Stroud versus Bryce Young. Mm-hmm. If you're looking at Frank Reich's history, and you mentioned that, you alluded to that, Mel, every quarterback he's had from, from Peyton Manning, uh, Phillip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Nick Foles, Andrew Luck, Jacoby Brissett, Matt Ryan, all six foot four to six foot six. Mm. CJ Stroud, six three, 214 pounds. Bryce Young's five ten and change. 204 pounds. So history would tell you that he would, that, that Frank Wright, the head coach, would, would lean towards Stroud, right? But I talked to somebody, who, a source that I have that I've, I've talked to over the years, the last five, six years, who every year gets the top quarterbacks right because of the position he's in and who he's dealing with. And he said that Bryce Young is already their guy at that number one spot. He's hmm. never been wrong. So, I'm, you know, listen, it's, it's just one source and he could come back to me in three weeks and say, ah, they changed their mind or the general manager, or the owner came in. But I'm just just throwing it out there. I think it absolutely comes down to Stroud and Young. It's not Anthony Richardson from Florida. It's not Kentucky's Will Levis. It's one of those two guys. I'm hearing Young, but Stroud seems to make seems to be a better fit for what Frank Reich is used to in the past working with quarterbacks. Before we get to pick number two, Todd, I, to that point you just made about how someone may feel a certain way on March 21st and then it may change by April 21st, which would still be six days out from the start of the draft. Adam Schefter has talked about this and kind of drawn a parallel between where the Panthers may be at right now and where the 49ers were at when they made their big trade up from 12 to 3 with the initial thinking that they were going to target Mac Jones. It instead right. became Trey Lance. And, you know, we can relitigate that one in a couple of years down the road. But things do change as you get deeper into the process. Let's go to pick number two, Mel. And it seems kind of obvious because we just debated who should go number one between C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young. But Houston gets a guy who was everything you could ask for and that much more for Alabama. Yeah, Bryce Young to Houston. And they also have a pick uh, coming up at 12 with Nolan Smith, the uh, linebacker from Georgia, would be the centerpiece of D'Amico Ryan's defense. D'Amico Ryan's, I think we'll see a lot of himself in and Nolan Smith. You think about what they get with Bryce Young, a uh, heck of a quarterback, if he can stay healthy. And if he can transition from college to pro at 5'10 and a quarter, 204 pounds, which was a manufactured 204 pounds. Now, can he maintain that? Will he be 180, 185 during this season? He doesn't have the rocket arm. He doesn't have you know, Kyler Murray's speed. He doesn't have Kyler Murray's thick frame. But what he is, and we talked about it, he is an amazing processor. Maybe the one of the best ever. We know what he does on the field. He's electric on the field. Players gravitate to him. Look at the personality, the way he plays the game. You just wish he was bigger. And you're going to have to worry every week. Can he hold up? Yeah, he may get us to this point in the season, but can he get through November, December? Is he going to get hurt? Can he withstand punishment? Big quarterbacks get hurt. This is a 5'10 and change, 204-pounder who may only be 185, 190 during the season. So that will always be a concern. Size matters at quarterback. 
Physicality matters at quarterback to be able to hold up. I always say, you get the penalty, but you also get the pain. So the penalty doesn't protect you from the hit. Yes, you get the penalty as the quarterback's land there in agony, okay? And for Bryce Young, how many of those agonizing hits can he withstand? We're worrying about that in Miami with Tua now. So that's why, again, I think uh, you look at Bryce Young as an outlier. We've never in the history of the common draft had a quarterback this size go in the first round, let alone the number one or number two pick overall. What do you think, Todd? Listen, I, I think Bryce Young is special, and I would draft him. And, and yeah, as a general manager, I'd have some sleep, sleepless Saturday nights before games hoping that he's going to last for 17 weeks. And I, and I understand Mel's point, and Mel's point is shared by me and shared by everyone in the league that I talk to. But he's so damn special at this position that it's worth the risk, in my opinion. I, Patrick Mahomes is the closest example of a guy that I, can, that I, I look at in terms of the game is so slow to him. He processes things so fast. He has that magic with his feet, the instincts and the feel for where pressure is coming from, and the moment is never too big. Does he have a rocket arm? No. Is he five foot ten and 204 pounds? Yes. And am I worried about the durability? Absolutely. But I think he's so special and so different than any other quarterback that we've seen before that I would take a chance on this guy at number one. And certainly, if he falls to number two, I'm thrilled as the Houston Texans. All right, so both because of the fact that we certainly think it's going to be in back-to-back picks, Carolina and then Houston, barring unforeseen trades, and also because a lot of people seem to be keen in on Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud in some order as the top two quarterbacks in this draft. Things are kind of chalky through two picks. Now it gets fun, Mel. As at pick three, not only do you have a trade, but you also have a quarterback in Will Levis who the opinions are not exactly consensus across the board here. I love it. I love that everybody is forgetting about it. And there are conversations I've had with Will Levis. His name isn't even coming up. Even today, everybody overlooks Will Levis. Is he in this draft? Is he a second rounder? I don't know. I mean, he's way up there, but everybody wants to talk about Anthony Richardson, C.J. Stroud, and, and Bryce Young, and Will Levis is being, like I say, forgotten. I think you go back to 2021, and they'll bring back some memories of, of Will Levis being on his game and making great throws and rushing for, what, nine touchdowns and beating teams with his legs, with his arm, and showing tremendous ability. And then this past year, he loses some offensive linemen, key guys, loses Wandale Robinson. He gets beat up from start to finish. Yes, he throws some interceptions. Yes, he turned the ball over some with some fumbles, but he was trying to gut it out with not much help and being hurt with toes and ankles and shoulder, everything, you name it, from head to toe, he was being beaten up physically at Kentucky. He doesn't have four and five star recruits all over the place to block for him, run the ball, and throw to. So for me, let somebody else take the other quarterbacks Justin Herbert was the third quarterback. Justin Fields was what the fourth quarterback. Josh Allen was the third quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger was the third quarterback. I don't have a problem with Will Levis dropping. Let him drop. I just thought Indianapolis at four, Todd, wouldn't want to wait the four. Let somebody else jump to three and have three quarterbacks off the board before they make the pick. Then they may figure, hey, Let's everybody take the other three, and we'll get Levis at four. Maybe it will fall that way. I just felt like they wouldn't be patient enough to wait to four, move up to one spot to three. The Raiders could jump from seven to three and get their guy if it's Anthony Richardson fine, and they would get Will Levis at four. So they're going to be guaranteed a quarterback. Will it be their guy? I just felt like maybe if they want their guy, they'll jump from four to three. Yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. If I'm Arizona, I'm thrilled. Like, not only could you move back to four, then you could have another team. Like if it's not the Raiders, maybe it's the Titans at 11. Maybe it's the Buccaneers at 19. You know, trying to make a big move up to get that fourth quarterback if they really love that guy. Whether it's Anthony Richardson or Will Levis, the Colts situation is interesting. Chris Ballard has gone the veteran route along for a long time. He's built a really good roster, 
but the veterans he's brought in have not worked out for whatever reason, you know, different, differing reasons. And so now he, he's got to get the quarterback to develop for the future. He's got Gardner Minshew who's in, in there as a bridge quarterback. Nick Foles is his backup. You can't tell me that they're going to ride with these guys. I don't even think in year one. So if you're Ballard and you're drafting a quarterback and you want to play right away and you want to compete, you know, with Minshew and Foles, or obviously Minshew for that number one job, then, then I think it has to be Will, Will Levis. If you're comfortable playing a season with Minshew as your starter, Foles as your backup, and Anthony Richardson as a guy who can come in in certain packages and utilize his mobility and develop for a year, then that's the route you go. But I think for the Colts, unlike the Raiders, the Raiders have Jimmy Garoppolo. They could take Anthony Richardson. The Titans have Ryan Tannehill. They could take Anthony Richardson. So if you got Baker Mayfield, they brought into Tampa Bay. I'm talking about teams that could trade up potentially for Anthony Richardson, where it would make sense to give him at least a year to sit back, learn, develop, and become more consistent with his mechanics and with his reads. And so that it, it all comes down to the team and what they need now or whether they have a situation where they can afford to be patient. Really interesting conversation, not just surrounding the Colts, but also surrounding Will Levis, who, again, it seems like as we get closer and closer to the draft, the opinions become more scattered on Will Levis, who a year ago we might be saying to ourselves, this guy is a top five lock based off how he performed at Kentucky during the 2021 year. Let's go to pick number five, and we're skipping number four. Will Anderson goes to the Cardinals in Mel's mock draft. And i got to be honest with you, Will Anderson has become the most boring top five pick of all time. It's just like, yep, checks every box, <laughs> had great production at, at his time at Alabama, better in 2021 than 2022. But he had 10 and a half sacks in 2022, and people are like, yeah, kind of a down year. I take 10 and a half sacks as a down year. Uh, Todd, as we, I'm going to turn back to you as we're having a little bit of a technical issue right now uh, with Mel. So move past Will Anderson. Yep. He'd be a great building block for Arizona. New GM, Monty Austin for it. Not that you don't want to, not that you want to swing uh, for the safe play on every pick, but it would be an easy way to just say, like, first pick I'm ever making, no problem with a guy who's got an incredibly high floor and obviously a very high ceiling as well. Here's where it gets fun again, though. Number five, Seattle Seahawks. And I've said this before on the show. This is opportunity cost. Seattle may not be picking top five next year or the year after or the year after a draft class last year that has yeah. given them real chance to be a very, very good team for the next few years. And Geno Smith, who, while he did sign a three-year extension, all the guaranteed money comes in year one. So the outs are pretty obvious for Seattle. How logical is Anthony Richardson or the Seahawks at pick number five, or is now the time to put your pedal to the metal and grab a player that can help you more right away? I think there are two options here. I think it's Anthony Richardson or Jalen Carter, the Georgia defensive tackle. And, and we'll get to Jalen Carter in a minute and, and what's gone on legally with him recently. But those are the two options for me. And, and, and yeah, like you said, if you want to put your pedal to the metal right now and win right now, it's Jalen Carter. But if you're looking for the future of this organization, as John Schneider, the GM, is probably less so than Pete Carroll, the head coach, then I, I think Anthony Richardson makes all the sense in the world. You have the most talented quarterback in this class, 6'4", 244 pounds. His vertical and broad jumps were ridiculous. He ran in, what, a 4-4-4, I think, in the 4-4s four at, the, at the combine, one of the fastest times, I think in the top four fastest times of quarterbacks in the past decade. And he has a howitzer for an R. He's just not ready. He started 30, 13 games, not 30, 13 games in college, and the tape is up and down. That's really the nature of what you're getting. Special plays, big time plays, potential upside, 
but a guy who's raw and very inconsistent right now. So it's a perfect situation. Now, what's interesting is I just mentioned, too, Arizona sitting at three moves down to four in this, in this mock draft, which is very likely to happen. And then you're sitting at four. Every team in the league, if you're looking to trade up to get that fourth quarterback, if it's Anthony Richardson, they know that they've got to make a trade with Arizona. So Arizona could wind up either getting the best defensive player at three or four or trading back once and maybe twice and getting a boatload of picks to try to kind of rejuvenate this organization from the draft. All right, Mel is back. So, Mel, you take it away here on Anthony Richardson to the Seahawks at five. Yeah, a couple things, guys. The reason why I felt like that trade with the Raiders to Arizona won three to seven, if they want a corner and they don't want Will Anderson Jr., because they will lose Will Anderson Jr. by moving from three to seven, in my opinion, Todd and Field. But if you want a corner, whether it's Christian Gonzalez, Oregon, or it's Devon Witherspoon, Illinois, or Joey Porter Jr., Penn State, you can move down and get a corner. Okay, and that's a neat area for them. But they will lose Will Anderson Jr. Mm-hmm. So, again, that's where I was debating that whole thing. You go from three to four, you get Will Anderson Jr. Now, how special is Will Anderson Jr.? As a kid, he's special. As a player, he's really good. He's not special. He's really good. He's not Miles Garrett. He's not Von Miller. He's not that kind of guy. He doesn't have that, that incredible first-step quickness. He doesn't have that incredible bend off the edge. But he's a heck of a player, and you know what you're getting. And I think for Arizona, how do they feel about Will Anderson Jr., Todd, and field will dictate whether they go three to four or they feel like they can go three to seven? It's a good question there. And I, Mel, you were gone for about the 30 seconds that I spoke on Will Anderson. But you, I think your evaluation is obviously, I mean, you're, you know more than I do. That's much as for sure. It's, it's great. Uh, I also just think that, like, in, in a, an exercise that we know carries significant risk, the risk of drafting Will Anderson probably is lower, yeah. especially relative to some of these quarterbacks that are coming into the NFL with question marks, whether it's due to size, performance, inconsistency, inexperience, etc. All right, so uh, Todd mentioned him already, and Mel, let's get to pick number six in your draft because this is where I think one of the more interesting players comes off the board. And here's where I did want to ask you guys about the value of a pro day. It is Wednesday, Tuesday, uh, March 21st. Six days ago at the Georgia Pro Day, Jalen Carter, uh, who you guys have both talked about, maybe the most talented player in this year's draft class, showed up nine pounds heavier than he was about two and a half weeks prior at the NFL Combine and also couldn't even finish drills during his Pro Day, the individual drills, because he was gassed. Mel, does this kind of performance maybe not change his draft stock but at least put your antenna up a little bit on a guy who, in this scenario, as the sixth overall pick, is guaranteeing himself something like $25 bucks. Played great at Georgia with the pads on and uh, had a lot on his mind. Uh, there was a lot of things working through off the field. And, and you think about late April and where we'll be when the season begins. He's the best player in the draft, and you're getting him at six. For a Detroit Lion team, guys, that nailed it. Hit it with Aiden Hutchinson. Boy, they connected on that one. They, they let Trayvon Walker go once. Hey, we'll sit here at two. We got Aiden Hutchinson. And all those sacks and the interceptions and the harassment of quarterbacks and the runs ability and all the hustle and all the leadership he brought to that football team. Jalen Carter is a disruptor along the interior. And if you have him inside and Aiden Hutchinson outside with all the other guys they have getting after the quarter and the additions of Gardner Johnson, the addition of Sutton, the addition of Mosley in the secondary, all of a sudden the Detroit Lions got something going on that defensive side, which should be vastly improved. And the offense, you know they got that going. And all of a sudden, Dan Campbell's Lions are a playoff team and can maybe go a little deeper in the playoffs. Actually, not even making it this year, missing that one game. Win the game, but they lost, uh, lost to get in and didn't make it into the playoffs. So for me, five to 10. 
pick five at Seattle, as Todd mentioned, down to 10 to yep. Philadelphia. And every team in between, and mm. every team in between could be looking at Jalen Carter. So for me, he doesn't get past 10. I have him going six because, like I say, Todd, everybody between five and 10 could certainly use him. Yeah, and I, I think the Bears would love for him to fall to number nine. But here's the thing. Let's not kid ourselves. We're going to have four quarterbacks potentially go in the top five like Mel has in this draft, which would be the first time in the common draft era that we would see that. Quarterbacks are going to fly off the board, but let's be real. And Will Anderson's a great player. Jalen Carter is the best football player in this draft. Mm. If you take away the character, he is the best football player on Saturdays that we watched in the last couple seasons in the draft. He was the best defensive tackle on a team where he wasn't a starter two years ago because they had first two uh, two first-round draft picks. And then he comes out this year. Yeah, he had the injury in the middle of the year. He could have shut it down. He didn't shut it down. At the end of the year, he played the best football of his career. He was he was absolutely dominant. But now you have, as a general manager, an owner, and a head coach, you've got this scale that you've got away. And it really comes down to like, organizational principles. Some organizations I've talked to say, you know what? We're just not a Jalen Carter guy. It's not that's not the identity. It's not the psychology. It's not what we want in our locker room. There's character issues on the field or, you know, football character issues. There's off the field personal character issues. We just don't want to deal with all that. That's not how we draft. There are other teams that are much more open to it. And now that it's just one year probation and they got the legal thing behind them and they got it done earlier, which I thought was interesting. They pushed it up a month and got it, got it done as a, a you know, one year probation. So basically he's not going to miss any football. So now you got to decide, all right, is this a guy we want to bring into our locker room knowing that there was char- character issues before the, the car racing incident? There was that incident that is, that is highly alarming. And then he puts on the nine pounds. And I haven't heard of a player not being able to finish drills. He didn't test either. Mm. He didn't run a 40. He didn't yeah. do the jumps and, and, and the, the three cone and the short shuttle and all that other stuff that guys do before they do their position drills. So he came in fresh and still couldn't finish. So there's a lot to weigh there, but I agree with Mel completely. It starts at five with Jalen Carter, and it ends probably at nine with Chicago in terms of his range. It is such a fascinating conversation. All the factors that you two just laid Mm -hmm. out, plus what we're going to find out about Jalen Carter over the next five weeks. I guess teams will learn about Jalen Carter because I'm sure he'll be all over the NFL map for these pre-draft visits and potentially some private workouts as well. Let's go to a couple of players who saw their stock raise uh, rise during the combine mail. And, you know, I, it's weird. Classifying Nolan Smith as a combine riser is an interesting one because coming into the year, we would have thought this Georgia outside linebacker could be a top five pick. But because of the shoulder injury, which prevented him from playing for much of the season, his stock kind of went down. But he was exceptional in Indianapolis. And you go to that same Georgia pro day, you watch him bend. That dude Talking about Ben, that guy might bend better than anybody else in the entire class. He's a freak athlete. How high does he climb in your newest mock? Houston at 12, and I think when you look at Nolan Smith, he can uh, you know, obviously impact the game in a variety of ways. He's going to ask the quarterback, certainly uh, intercepting passes, tracking down quarterbacks, fast, elusive quarterbacks, tackling in space in the open field, which is so important in national football, and being the centerpiece of a defense and being the guy who's going to be a smart guy, obviously a leader. I think when you look at D'Amico Ryans to get a Bryce Young or a C.J. Stroud at two and then be able to get a guy like Nolan Smith to basically be the cornerstone of your defense when you get the franchise quarterback at two, uh, you got to feel pretty good about the direction of that football team if you bring two guys, quality guys, uh, like they would be getting both a quarterback and, like I say, the centerpiece of their defense at that linebacker spot in Nolan Smith. And just one more name, and I want to ask Todd about <laughs> yeah. this. Oh, go ahead, Matt. Go ahead, Todd. Sorry. 
No, no, no. I was just going to say, you know, he's 238 now, and that's the big concern. I've never seen a guy get in the NFL and over time not add weight. You know, and none of us have lost weight when we get into our, you know, later 20s, early 30s. Like, he's going to put on weight with strength and conditioning. And to, I don't 238 running in the four threes and to have that bend that you talked about, he's got a chance to be special. He can drop in coverage. He's got great range versus the run. He plays his tail off every game. I, I think this is a great pick. I think he, he's in that 10 to 15 range when it comes to draft day. One more player that I just want to mention uh, that has also seen a spike in his value who has been, talk about athleticism, who has been absolutely incredible both in the combine and that and then at the Northwestern uh, Pro Day as well as Aditamiwa Adabare, uh, defensive lineman, defensive tackle, had a great senior bowl as well, Mel. Uh, you know, they t- talk about pad level. This guy's natural pad level is going to be beneath any offensive lineman because his bend, not a big guy, but his frame is just built to absolutely make life miserable for opposing offensive linemen. Yeah, I went off script on him last week on the podcast and just loved the way he chased his lateral pursuit. You saw that 449 speed at 280 plus pounds. A kid who's got long arms as well and was recruited by Air Force Army, goes to Northwestern. He's a great kid, smart kid mm-hmm. who produced. He was getting after the quarterback. He was making solo tackles. Majority of his tackles this year, Todd, were solos. So the production was there. The workout was great. He's a great character kid. I almost put him at 10 to Philadelphia. And you would have said that's a Kuiper stunt. So I said, I don't want to hear a lot of grief from Todd. I'll wait on that one. But I almost had him to Philadelphia at 10. Almost had him to Detroit. But I gave Jalen Carter there after the Detroit went heavy in the secondary. Then I dropped him down to Dallas. I didn't feel good dropping him that far, Todd. I think I got him too low. Listen, I, I, I don't completely disagree. I think he's somewhere in that 20 to 30, 31 range in this year's first round. I watched his tape yesterday, actually. actually like His final walkthrough of his tape, putting together his final evaluation, 6'2", 288 pounds, long arms. I watched him against Ohio State. He doesn't, it's funny, like he doesn't have great product, production numbers necessarily, but he, he had 37 pressures this year. Mm. And he was in the backfield disrupting plays over and over again. He's a good defensive end when they put him on the edge. I think he's a three technique. Watching more tape of him, he's more disruptive inside when he can, you know, use that that long arms, the quick first step, the power just to jar offensive tackles back and then quickly swipe off or, or rip off of the block. He was making play after play, and when he wasn't making the play, he was making the quarterback get off his spot or he was making the running back reverse angles, and then you know another defensive lineman or a linebacker would come in and clean up the mess. He, he was the most disruptive defensive player in that game on both sides of the field in that Northwestern Ohio State game, and it was one of several games that I watched, and it was the same thing over and over again. This guy, when you put him as a three technique inside on the outside shoulder of the guard and let him work in that gap, that's where he's special. It was like a two-year, two-decade uh, drought for Northwestern, not having a first-round pick until just two years ago. Rashawn Slater, of course, goes to the Los Angeles Chargers. They could have two guys, very likely, in the first round between not just Adi Barre, but also, of course, Peter Skaronsky, the guard or tackle, depending on how you evaluate mm-hmm. him. All right, I'm going to read players in an 11-pick span, Mel, that all catch the ball for a living. Some of them block as well. Michael Mayer going 18th to the Lions, tight end from Notre Dame. Wide receiver Jackson Smith and Jigba, 20th to the Seahawks out of Ohio State. Dalton Kincaid, another tight end from Utah, going 21st. Zay Flowers, wide receiver from Boston College. Your or Todd's guy going to the Ravens at 22. Quinton Johnston, (laughs) wide receiver from TCU, going 23rd to the Vikings. Jordan Addison going 25th out of USC to the Giants. And then big Darnell Washington. He's 
huge, going 28th to the Bengals. He's a tight end from Georgia here. So do you just feel like, is this the uh, the range here, Mel, or is there sort of a butterfly effect? Like, once one guy goes, other teams realize no longer waiting on these pass catchers. We better make it happen right now. Yeah, I think the, some think the tight end group's better than a receiver group. Some teams disagree. But, hey, the tight ends, if you want the inline guy, you want the move guy, you can get, you can get either. I mean, Dalton Kincaid can move. He can catch. He did phenomenal things at Utah this year. Michael Mayer had been there since his freshman year doing a great job of block. He'll run over people after the catch. You look at Darnell Washington, the freak out of Georgia and the kind of potential he has going to the Bengals late in the first round. Jordan Addison did it at Pitt with Kenny Pickett. He did it at USC with Caleb Williams. Production at two major programs is impressive for Jordan Addison. Not the great combine, but a good football player. Gives you versatility as well. Catches the ball very smooth in terms of route running. Jackson Smith and Jigba, what's he going to run coming up, Todd? You're going to be there. What's his 40 time going to be? He went through the combine. Impressed everybody, caught the ball smooth. We know how silky smooth he is. We know what he did in 2021. He's the sixth best player coming into the year. All right. Well, guess what? Then he's going to the top 15 if he runs for New England at 14 could look at him. I got him going to Seattle. I think when you got Lockett and you got Metcalf, you need another receiver. He'd be ideal there. So with a Flowers. I think when you look at Jackson Smith and Jigba, when he was in there with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, he outproduced them. Mm. He had more catches. He had a better average per catch. He was outstanding. You say, hey, they allowed him to do some things. They always got a free run. We know all that. But he catches the football. He had just two throws. He has great hand-eye coordination. After the catch, he, he's very deceptive in terms of his speed, his quickness, and his athleticism. He will l- lull you in a false sense of security if you're a DB. Take bad angles, he's going to beat you. So to me, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I have him going to Seattle. I think that would be a really good pick for them. New England at 14 would be a good spot for him as well. He runs under 4-5. He's not going to drop down to 20. He's going to go somewhere in the top 15. Anything stand out from those pass catches? Yeah, I, there's a reason well, I was just going to say, there's a reason he didn't run at the, at the combine. Yeah. All these Ohio State guys run fast. They, they're trained ex- exceptionally well. They run faster probably in the 40 than they do on the field in a lot of cases. And a lot of people think it's about a 48-and-a-half-yard uh, – or, or, sorry, a 38-and-a-half-yard, 40-yard dash at Ohio State because yep. the numbers are always just exceptional. So I think he's going to run a little bit better. On tape, I think he's a five, a four, five, four, five, three kind of guy. I don't see that great speed, that great explosion. But he's the best route runner, and he has the best feel for the game. We talk about Bryce Young and how slow the game is for him. He's got that same just like relaxed manner about him. His speed isn't great, but it's easy speed. He's athletic. He's smooth. He knows where to be, knows how to come back to his quarterback, knows soft spots to, spots to find his zone. But going back to Mel's point, this is interesting between the wide receivers and tight ends. I would say comparatively, you know, there's going to be more receivers taken in the first round than, than the tight ends. But you go back, this will be the first time if there are three tight ends in the first round, and I've got five in the top 50 overall. Mm. But this would be the first time, time since 2017 when we had uh, O.J. Howard, Evan Ingram, and David Joku go in the, the first round. That We'd see three tight ends in the first round. And then prior to that, it was all the way back to 2002. So this would be just the second time since 2002, or 21 years, that we would have three first-rounders in the uh, at the tight end position. And so this year's group of tight ends, if you're looking for one, you better use a first or second round pick because you got a chance to get a difference maker at that position. All right, we have a couple of more. Yeah, one thing, Todd, and one thing, Field. Yeah, one thing, guys, in Field. Uh, pterodactyl I have not heard yet from Todd during this podcast. That's a first. We have not. We've gone through a podcast without Pterodactyl being mentioned. I'm, that's, I'm that's kind of, like Shay, right, two, two things for me. 
Two two things. Two things for me. First of all, we haven't gotten to Qu- we haven't gotten to Quentin Johnson yet. We haven't gotten there yet. But I, I made a, a vow to myself. I was just going to get there till after April. The second thing is, Mel. I can't like we're we're halfway through this show. How have we not talked about Field Yates's hoodie? I mean, that thing is electric. Yes. I mean, you and I Finally. are in suits. We've got the Sports Center special yeah. today. But my goodness, what? You are bringing fire today, Field. Rollback special right here, Todd. Thank you for noticing. Uh, here's the truth. Uh, our show got moved up a little bit earlier. Uh, this show did because of some various things that we have going on. And the two of you actually have to continue to carry the company between the like 45 minutes from after this show concludes until we start the sports center special and you guys have to like go to sports center or first take or something i get to go take my time go to the makeup room maybe get my hair touched up a little bit <laughs> i get to change so i figured i'm gonna keep i think it a you should wear casual. it on the show uh, that might not fly, but you know, there's only one way to find out, which is to be the tenth. It eight. flies with us. That's all that matters. You, for you. And you guys are the bosses, so that, that's good enough by me. Thank you for noticing that, Todd. Yes. I appreciate yes. that. Very comfortable too. Yes. Um, I was say, by the way, by, by the way, yeah, you know, Quentin Johnson could wear that very effectively too. Yeah, he, and and Quentin Johnson is a very effective, very as anybody good, especially a you know, guy's got to have a little swagger, and Fields got swagger, boy. And you look at at that uh, guy like Quentin Johnson, <laughs> the way he brings it, and the way he. Yeah, after the catch dot, he was fun to watch. Now, what he does, and I watched him the other day, he seems very comfortable at times body catching. And you look at him in the NFL, when you get the bigger windows in college, you can get away with that. In the NFL, you can't. So he's got to adjust to basically snatch it with his hands, extend, use that size, use that length to his advantage to get that football before defensive backs can jar it loose. He get, he has to get out of that comfort zone of body catching. And that's something he yep. once he works on that, he'll eliminate some of the drops, hopefully, because he did have some of those at TC, which bothered us. But from a size, physicality standpoint, if he can do that, fix that aspect of his game. I gave him to Minnesota because Adam Thielen moved on to Carolina. Yeah. They have a hole there at wide receiver. Yep. That would be kind of a guy that would have been an easy replacement for Thielen for Kirk Cousins to bring him in to the fold for the Minnesota Vikings. All right, so we got our Quentin Johnston. The only problem with uh, this hoodie on uh, Quentin Johnston is it's a long sleeve for me, but for him it might be like a short sleeve because those pterodactyl arms are quite a bit longer than my – I've got the T-Rex arms. I didn't say to him. Yeah, <laughs> thank you, Todd, for uh, taking me off the hook there. All right, we have one last order of business, even though we can go on for probably the next couple of hours. Um, I'll do a quick thing, which is B. John Robinson goes 27th in this draft for the Buffalo Bills. I want to say this, and I don't want to speak for these two men who know much more about the NFL draft than I do, but whoever takes B. John Robinson, wherever it is in the first round, I'm not going to have any issue with the fact that this guy will immediately make your team so much better. He's an unbelievable talent. The only knock on B. John Robinson is simply the business of football and football economics and whether you should be paying a premium on a running back when you may be able to find a guy in the third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round or even undrafted who could do the job at least at a sufficient level as well. We'll, we'll continue to have that conversation on B. John Robinson at some point. I just wanted to get that out of the way because he's so good that if he goes top 12, top 15, top 20, I'm fine with the pick from a player standpoint. It's just a value conversation that I, many are I aware. haven't talked to a team. I haven't talked to a team field that doesn't have B. John Robinson just purely ranked on talent in their top seven. He's unbelievable. And he's one of the seven best players in this draft. He's amazing. I thought Saquon. I thought Saquon Barkley was sensational coming out of Penn State. I'll make th- this argument. You can mark it down right now. What is this? March twenty first. Twenty first. I yep. think Bijan Robinson is more talented coming out of Texas, more complete, 
has more explosiveness, creates more missed tackles than Saquon Barkley did. And Saquon obviously had some injuries early in his career, but we saw it last season, what he can be in the NFL, how special he is. I think Bijan is that and maybe a little bit more. Mel, any thoughts on that one? Wow, that's that's a big that's a bold statement, Todd. I'll tell you what to, to say he's as good or better than than Saquon Barkley. Uh, I disagree with that, uh, but we'll see. We'll see. He's a running back that if he goes to Buffalo, wouldn't they love to have? Wouldn't Josh Allen be applauding that pick? Josh Allen may not have to be the big time running back slash quarterback in Buffalo to do it all, Superman every week to get this team to win football games. Maybe Bijan Robinson can come. Now, in you and think get he's going to be sitting there at twenty six? I, I struggle with this one, Todd. This is one of the hardest ones I had to deal with. And you, yeah, 27. I, I thought about Dallas, but they have power. I thought about Tampa Bay, but are you rebuilding? Do you bring a running back in when you're restructuring everything? I thought Maybe about the Chargers the a little bit earlier. Atlanta, Eckler but Algier. Yeah, I thought about it. Was, uh, but I said, okay, you know, do you go to the tight end over the running back? But there's depth at tight end. You can get one. Maybe you can go there. Now. I really struggle with running back. Ooh, What's that? Philadelphia at 10. I've been saying that it all time? along. I, I know that. it's not what Howie Roseman does. Yeah. I said at 10. Howie Roseman, I know he's an offensive defensive line guy. He builds in the trenches, and that's where he'll probably go. But Miles Sanders is gone. And, and a lot of that offense is based on the run game and then play action and RPOs and, and all of that off of it with Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position. You bring in Bijan Robinson, Robinson at 10 and then use a later pick to, to bolster up your offensive defensive line. To me, that's the route you go. I think he's so special. You put Jalen Hurts and Bijan in the same backfield, like what? They that would take their offense to an yeah. entirely yeah. different level. Yeah, that this is what I go to. History tells you about the future. And when they drafted Miles Sanders in the yeah. second round, Todd, that was the same year that Josh Jacobs went in the first round. They passed on Jacobs and took Andre Dillers, now moved on, okay, in free agency. But I think when you look at this situation kind of mirrors that, where you look at the second, third round running backs. I mean, Dwayne McBride in the second round out of UBB is going to be a heck of a pick. Zach Charbonnet out of UCLA, a heck of a pick in the third or fourth round. You like Ty J. Spears out of Tulane? I do. Israel Abanacand out of Pitt, another good football player. Uh, Devon A-Chain out of Texas A&M, a really good one as well. So you can find running backs. I would look at McBride from UAB and Charbonnet from UCLA as two guys that it will prevent, present value as to where they go in the draft if you pass on a running back like Bijan in the first round. Okay, so we could do the whole Bijan thing forever. I'm just telling you that no matter where he goes, it's going to be a highly scrutinized pick, but it also will be, at least in my opinion, a very valuable pick. For the next four years, I have little doubt that Bijan Robinson is going to be anything but an absolute star. All right, the best part of the show is always when one of these guys has a mock and the other gets to serve as the professor and grade it. So, Todd McShay, the floor is yours. Your thoughts on Mel's Mock 3.0, things you would change, things you agree with, things that were absolutely ridiculous, and everything in between. Well, listen, I actually, I read through, and I don't have a lot of problems with it. Ooh. I really don't. I think some of the defensive linemen that he threw in at the end make a lot of sense. They're guys that are rising, talking to teams. They're the same players that I'm hearing with the conversations I'm having. Uh, Clancy from Pittsburgh going to the Eagles with their second first-round pick, going to the top of the draft. Listen, it, it, I would go Bryce Young. I'm hearing Bryce Young. But C.J. Stroud, as we talked about, makes sense from a Frank Reich standpoint in terms of the history and what he's used to working with at that position. And Stroud is absolutely sensational and played his best football in, in the Rose Bowl and in the semifinal game against Georgia the past two years. 
What I had a problem with, it, though, it, Miles Murphy from Clemson is falling, and I get that. Maybe he doesn't go in the first round. I got him at 20 overall or 19 overall, and he didn't go in the first. And another guy that I thought could be in the first round, I'm not saying he's a lock to be in the first round, but I, I think he's going to be in that late first round range is Keon White, mm. uh, the, the edge defender from Georgia Tech. Yep. And I'm just interested, Mel, what your thought process was with, with Miles Murphy, Keon White not being in the first yeah, I struggle with Murphy. Uh, I struggle with Murphy. I put Felix Anudike Uzama from Kansas State in there, who was highly productive, loved strip sacks, loved the forced fumbles that he created during his career, particularly over the last two years. Love how active he was, how he was. You talk about Ben, had a bad explosiveness off the edge. Closing on that quarterback quickly, he was able to do that. So that's where Murphy could have factored in. Keon White, same type of thing. So I think both right now are early second-round picks, but I did struggle with Miles Murphy moving him out of the first into the second but that was the Kansas State kid, Felix Anudike Uzama, who moved in in that spot. So I'm with you, Todd, on that one. Uh, but you can't put everybody. You only got 31 spots, not 32 this year, uh, with Miami forfeiting their first-round pick. So uh, it is tricky. You always feel bad about leaving one or two guys out uh, in terms of the first round. Jalen Hyatt, the fast wide. Didn't run as fast as I thought he would at the combine. Yeah. So he'd be in the 4-2-9 to 4-3-5 range, ran with 4-4. But he is a guy who takes the top off that defense, and he's the kind of guy who'll be intriguing. But I pushed him into the second round area, the wide receiver out of Tennessee. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought about maybe going in terms of Brian Branch, but I couldn't overlook the combine, Todd, which was not impressive, but a really good safety. Thought about yeah, him to wasn't. Philadelphia towards the end of the first round. And I'm with you on the trades. I, I thought about the Raiders, but I try to stay away from that. I'm with you on the Chargers and Bijan. That was a tough one I struggled with as well. Uh, but overall, for where we are right now, and you have a mock. When's your next mock coming out, Todd? Next week. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I guess next week. If the field tells me it's next week, it's next week. <laughs> I, I, feel like I just, I just had. I just Glad had to keep up with scheduling, Todd. Glad you're on top of that one, pal. I had, I, 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 I've got three pro days in three different states in the next four days, next three days, bud. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good with scheduling. But, uh, but my problem is, I, uh, I just I'll had keep, a mock 3.0. And, and then the trade happened like a day after from, you know, Carolina moving nine to one. And then I had Mach 3.5. So it's like they, we keep adding to it. So we'll find out. I'll find out after this pro day situation. Oh, man. This stuff is the best. It might actually not be next week, Todd. I might have missed it by a week. There might be like a Tannenbaum or a Matt Miller or Jordan Reed mock draft coming down the pipe. Yeah, Tannenbaum's up next. Tuesday is Mike. Tuesday. 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 Mike Tannenbaum mock draft. And I can promise you, by the way, that we'll have full coverage of it on ESPN2 during our Sports Center special. All right, we have to go because these two, again, they have to keep carrying the company. I get to go hang out for the next 45 minutes. I might grab a sandwich from the ESPN cafeteria. Might go, I don't know, might go, I don't know, I don't check Twitter for a little while. Who knows? I mean, keep that hoodie on, Field. Oh, this keep thing's that never hoodie coming on. off. Shout out Roback for the great hoodie that is electric, according to the great Todd McShay. But for Mel and for Todd, I am Field. We are back next week, probably in our more traditional time slot. We'll let you know. First draft, always fun. Make sure you download, subscribe, wherever you get your podcast. Check it out. Rate us, review us. We'll talk to you guys again soon.